0: Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. So welcome to our series in Colossians. Uh, If you have your Bible, your device, open up to Colossians chapter 2. We began in chapter 1 looking at the identity of Jesus and specifically looking at the supremacy of Christ. And today we're going to look at chapter 2 and see what God has done for us. And it's very important that we started with the identity of Jesus because you need to know who Jesus is in order to appreciate what he has done for you. You need to know that Jesus is supreme. He's all-powerful. He's all-present. He's all-knowing. He's preeminent, meaning he's before all, he's above all, he's first of all. And when you understand who Jesus is, then you can have confidence And you can believe and you can trust in what he has done for you. Amen? Let me say it in the negative. If we have the wrong Christology, then we will have the wrong sociology, and then you'll have the wrong biography. In other words, if we don't know who Jesus is, then we don't know who we are, because we're created in his image. And then we don't know how to live. And so we need to begin with Jesus. And who he is because he is the source he's the creator and he is recreating our lives it's like the businessman in london by the name of lindsey clegg Lindsay had a property that he was selling and there was a warehouse on the property and he had a prospective buyer and uh, the property had been vacant for months And vandals had come in. They damaged the doors. They busted out the windows. They just trashed the interior. And so here he was, bringing this buyer to be interested in the property. And he went, he went through pains and at length to explain to the buyer, "Don't worry about the appearance." He said, "I will get it cleaned up. I'll have a crew come in and repair any structural damage. We'll fix the windows. We'll clean it up. It'll look really nice." And the buyer said, "Repairs?" He said, "Forget about the repairs." I don't care about the repairs. I'm buying this because I want the property. When I buy this property, I'm going to build something totally new. Folks, our renovation efforts for our lives amount to not much more than sweeping out the warehouse from garbage. Jesus wants to come in and build something totally new. And the key word is new. And that's a picture of what Christ begins when he comes into our lives. Amen? And today, we're going to take a closer look at how he does that. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for this amazing gift of a new life. And Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would unfold, would reveal, would teach, would counsel, would give wisdom and understanding, give knowledge to help us Receive what it is that you have done for us. So Holy Spirit, be our teacher today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. We'll read it together. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and the high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So... You also are complete through your union with Christ. He is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. So you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God, who raised Christ from the dead. For you were dead because your sins, because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. For He forgave all your all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. There are three things that I'd like to point out from this passage. I call them the three P's. The very first one is presence. God removed the presence of sin from our lives. Or you could call it, the the other P could be problem. God has removed the problem. God has removed the problem. And when we talk about The problem. There are three battlefronts that we all face. There is the battle with Satan himself, demonic spirits, there's a battle against sin, and there's a battle against the world. We talk about the world. uh, You've ever heard the term the world of sports or the financial world? Well, there's also the the kingdom of darkness, the, the kingdom of this world, and it has a system and a set of values that is unique. And we battle against that as well. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, he said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not against other people. Turn to your neighbor and say, my battle's not with you. He says, our battle is against principalities and powers and rulers. He's talking about demonic spirits. This is where the battle is. Too often we get distracted and we think it's the people around us. And keep in mind, our battle is not against flesh and blood. There's also the battle with the world. There's a system here that we live in. Jesus said, be in the world, but don't be of the world. And it defiles us and it tempts us daily. We live in it. Today, I want to focus specifically on a third battlefront, and that is our battle with sin. And in order to understand the struggle that we have with sin, you have to understand the nature of sin. And we're going to take a look at uh, what God says about sin all the way back to the book of Genesis. And when you look at uh, this story of what God says about sin, keep in mind there's, there's something in Bible study called the principle of first mention. The principle of first mention is the idea that anytime something is mentioned first in the Bible, it is highly significant because it reveals something about the nature of that topic. And so in Genesis chapter 3, you know the story about Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother because of jealousy. And before that happened, God came to Cain. The Lord was trying to prevent something and was trying to coach him and teach him. And he said, Cain, why has your countenance fallen? He said, if you do well, your countenance will be lifted up. If you do not do well, then sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. That's a very interesting description of sin, the nature of it and our relationship to it. Because oftentimes in today's thinking, we think sin is a label that you put on a certain category of behaviors that some people think are wrong. God describes it very differently. God describes sin as an active force, and it's out to get you, and it wants you. Its desire is for you. In other words, it wants to control you. And God says, but you must master it. In other words, don't let it control you. You must have ascendancy over it. Now, anytime God tells us to do something, like you must master it, it's because that's who we were were intended to be. That's the relationship and the position that we were intended to have. He didn't mean that we would live under it or be influenced by it. He, he meant that we would have mastery over it. And he was trying to coach Cain because God knew that he was jealous and he knew what that would do in his heart. And so, in this passage, uh, when we're talking about God has removed the problem, he's removed the presence of sin, I want us to keep in mind that... Um, He's given us a new nature. And you've heard me talk about this before, that when we have a new nature, uh, we have different behavior. And I won't go into the whole dynamic of how that works, but just a reminder of something we've talked about before. Nature determines action. And God has given us a new nature, and yet when we have this new nature, we have uh, a different appetite. We have uh, different things that satisfy us. I remember when I became a Christian, I started to go back to some of the old habits that I did as a non-Christian. They didn't satisfy like they used to. I didn't enjoy them like I used to. God gives us a different appetite. Now imagine you're a zookeeper and you're feeding the lions and you offer them raw steak or lettuce. What do you think the lion's going to go for? Yeah, going to go for the steak. That's just his nature. He's a carnivore. But if you could somehow magically remove the DNA of the lion and insert the DNA of a goat and then present the two meal options, what would he choose? He'd choose the lettuce because now he's got the nature of a goat. And so God has exchanged our inner nature. Now, you may be thinking as you're hearing me talk, well, yeah, I know Christ is in me. I know he changes me. But to be honest, Pastor, if I'm really going to be honest, I don't feel that different. Sometimes I feel like I've got one foot in the world and I've got one foot in God's kingdom and I really struggle with the temptations and the patterns and the habits of my old life. And why is that? You know, and sometimes when I'm struggling, if I share that with my friends or some people close to me that I trust, you know, some people, well-meaning, they give advice and say things like, well, brother, you just need more faith. You know, you just need to believe. You need to persevere. You need to, you need to push through. Or maybe you need to read this book. This is a really good book. I read this book. It did wonders for me. Or you need to go to this seminar or this conference. Or you need Elijah House. Or you need spiritual disciplines. You need to memorize more scripture. You need to pray. You need to fast. You need to do these things. That's why you're struggling. You know, that sounds right. But there's something there that can get twisted. And that is oftentimes those recommendations can be efforts in self. And we need to go back to not what we can do, but what Jesus has done for us. You need to go back to the word of God. Anytime we're struggling, go back to the word of God and what has Jesus said about who I am and what he has done for me. That's where we need to be. And so, Colossians 2.11, if we could go there to this next verse. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. And so we hear that verse. That's amazing news that God would do that. But somehow there's pieces of the puzzle that are missing. Why is that not flowing smoothly in my life? And we need to keep in mind that uh, work very complex We are the highest order of all creation. God made us the most complex of all creatures on the earth. It's the way he made us. And it's it's just amazing. We are actually three things in one. We are spirit, soul, and body. And God gives us a human spirit. It interacts with the world through our intellect, our emotions, and our will, which interact with the world through our body. And it's just amazing how we're kind of three, but we're also one. It's kind of a picture of the Trinity. And so, you know, the way the order is, God is first, His Spirit, to the human spirit, working through our intellect, our emotions, and our will, and manifesting out in the world through our body. That's the order. And so keep in mind that we are three parts. And keeping that in mind, I want to come back to this verse and point out something that maybe you hadn't noticed before. It says, Christ performed, I'm in the third line, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. This is a cutting away that happened in our spirit. In the innermost part of your being, in the highest part of your being, God made a change. He removed the the sinful nature. It was a cutting away. He took it out. And so we hear that, but we say, well, why do I still struggle? And keep in mind that we are three parts, spirit, soul, and body. And we don't have the verse up on the screen, but I'm just going to share it with you. You can write it down if you're taking notes. In Romans 7, 23, Paul said, I find that uh, sin inhabits the members of my body. And in this verse, he's talking about the physical body. I find that sin inhabits the members of my body. And so then Paul went on in Romans 7 to describe the struggle. It's like we're at a war inside. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I do want to do, I don't. It's like, who's going to deliver me from this conflict? And then in Romans chapter 8, he goes on to say, thanks be to Christ Jesus, he has done it. And so we're three parts. The innermost part of our being, God has changed us. And he has removed the sinful nature. But sin is still resident in our physical body. And this explains why the body still has to die because the result of sin is death, right? The body has to die, but your spirit will go go with God to be in heaven if you have received Christ. Eventually, you'll get a new body in the resurrection, but this body has sin and it must be done away with, and God will raise up a new one when he comes back, or we go to be with him. Um, So, having said that, I want to um, talk about the fact that there's this struggle that goes on inside, and God has given us the victory, and he's made a change, but he's also inviting us to go through the struggle of experiencing that victory. It's kind of like the people of Israel. Remember they were slaves in Egypt? And then God actually told them generations before through Abraham, that one day I would give you the promised land. It would be for your descendants. And finally the time came for them to enter into the promised land. He delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. They were out in the desert. They made it through the Red Sea, saw miraculous signs and wonders as God did amazing things. And they're on their way. And so then Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land to go check it out. 10 of them come back and say, whoa, no way. This is too big for us. I mean, there are giants in the land. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, we can do this. With God's help, we got this. But the other 10 instilled fear in the people. And so as a result, they ended up wandering around in the desert for 40 years. But there were two of them that had faith and were willing to trust what God had promised and what God said would be theirs and the victory that he had given them. Now, you know, I I imagine when they heard the promise, yeah, we got a new home, God's going to take us to a new place. They were all surprised when they found out we would have to fight for it. They're like, what? I didn't sign up for this. There are giants out there. We've got to cross huge rivers with our family and our kids and our animals and all the gold and silver and everything that we brought with us. How, how are we going to do this? You know, and they're limited in their thinking, being human. But God had a plan for them. God would give them divine strategies like marching around Jericho seven times. God would do supernatural things like causing the walls to fall. God would do things like putting fear in the enemy's heart that they wouldn't have the will to fight. And He would give them the victory, but they had to enter into it together with Him and join Him in the fight. That's a picture of the Christian life. God has given you the victory. It's like the walls of Jericho have already come down, He's already removed the sinful nature. There is an enemy that's still present, but he's given you the victory over it. I just want to share with you uh, how he's given you the victory over the enemy. So point number one, the P, is God has removed the presence of sin. Point number two, God has removed the power of sin. And so if we could go to the next slide. God has removed the power of sin. This is Romans chapter 6. Again, Paul writing, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, So that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So I want you to focus on that phrase there, a second line. That sin might lose its power in our lives. Sin might lose its power in our lives. This is the New Living Translation. In the New American Standard, it says that sin might be done away with. And some people studying that translation have wondered, well, what does that mean that sin is done away with? Does that mean that it no longer exists? Does that mean that when I received Christ, it became annihilated, that it disappeared? But if you study further in the original Greek, the word for being done away with, or that phrase, lose its power, is a Greek word called kartargeo. Kartargeo means to be rendered powerless. In other words, to become ineffective to lose its influence and its authority. And so what God has done is, although sin is still present in the members of your body, um, it doesn't have the absolute control over you that it used to. Now, you have a choice. And that's the difference between the believer and the unbeliever. The person with the Holy Spirit and the person without the Holy Spirit. One is a complete slave to sin. They can't help it. The other now has a choice but they have to fight in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. So the question for us is, God's given you the victory. It's yours for the having by faith. But the question is, how long is it going to take? You want to take the short course or do you want to take the long course? The people of Israel wandered around in the desert for 40 years, but there were two, Joshua and Caleb, who said, I'm ready to go straight in by faith, trusting God. We have a choice too. Either way, God's going to get us there. The question is, how long will it take? And so God has removed the power of sin from our lives. That's the second P. The third P is God has removed the penalty of sin from our lives. Colossians 2, verse 14. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. God's removed the penalty. You know, when I was 12 years old, uh, my dad uh, was stationed here on Guam. He was in the military. And he had a job where they gave him a company car. And so, to my surprise, I would come home from school every day and I would find in the backyard my dad's truck was parked there. And one day I noticed the keys were in the house. And so this pattern kept repeating day after day, week after week. And after a while, I got this idea. I thought, you know what? This car is available. And so one day I got the keys, and I had been watching him drive, and it was a standard. And so I was trying to figure out how to do the clutch, you know, and to shift in the gas. And so I would be in the backyard trying to get the car just to inch forward without conking out. I must have conked out 20, 30, 40 times. I lost count. But eventually I got it. I figured out how to put just enough gas and let off the clutch and to get the car going, and I started doing circles around in the backyard. And I used to take little rocks, and I would put them next to the tires so that I would park the car in exactly the same spot it was before I was driving around. And then I would take the hose with the the water gun, and I would spray the grass down, erasing all my tracks in the yard. (laughs) And I did that many times until I got very comfortable with shifting and going in reverse and steering and it was a it was a manual so it was really hard to turn for a little 12 year old kid you know but I got pretty good at it and so one day I don't know what got into me I'm the oldest of four I'm 12 years old so then there's like 11 10 9 and one day I said to my brothers and sisters I said hey you guys want to go for a drive <laughs> and so I got them all in the truck and we were living in Dedede and I went down my sing-song all the way to NCS and back, and I parked the car, and weird thing happened after that. I just noticed the keys were gone. I was like, where did the keys go? They're not in the same place as usual. Fast forward 20 years later. I'm married, we have our first child. I take our daughter to go visit my mom, and I don't know how the conversation came up, but we got on the topic of the car, and she told me that she came home from work that day and my little sister said, hey, mom, guess what? Mark took us for a ride in the car. <laughs> I never knew that for 20 years. So now I'm an adult. I'm a grown kid. A grown, I, I got a <laughs> grown parent. <laughs> Maybe still a kid. <laughs> I said, mom, how come you didn't say anything? She said, well, when I was young, I grew up on a farm. And my brother at 12 years old was driving the tractor on the farm. I didn't think it was that big a deal. I just decided to take the keys away. And I thought, you know, that's just a merciful heart, a mother's heart, just to remove the keys, remove the problem that way. It's a little different when it's a father, right? There's there's still love, but there's also justice in there, right? (laughs) So here's an imaginary story. One day a kid takes his dad's car, and he's driving down the road, and he's at a red light, and a cop happens to pull up right next to him. And the cop is sitting there, and he looks over, and he goes, whoa, that kid looks pretty young to be driving that car. I wonder how old he is. So he's just watching. The kid takes off. So he decides to follow him, turns on his lights, pulls him over, says, uh, young man, do you have a license? Like, no, sir. Do you have insurance? No. Okay. So the kid gets two tickets. He has to appear in court. The judge is there. The cop is there. The evidence is against him. He says, how do you plead, young man? He said, guilty. And so he said, okay, your fine is either $200 or two days in jail. The choice is yours. And so the kid is just brokenhearted because in this story, the judge happened to be his father. He went out into the hallway. He just couldn't believe that his dad did this to him. Doesn't he love me? And so the dad went into his office, took off his big black cloak, walked out into the hallway in plain clothes, sat next to his son, and he said, son, the day you took my car, you made a big mistake but I love you. And so here's what I'm going to do. He pulls out his wallet and he hands him $200. He said, go pay the cashier. Your debt is paid. Now at that point, the son has a choice to make. He can say, wow, dad, thank you so much. Take the money, go pay. Everything's good. His record is clean. Or he could say, you know what? That's okay. I did the crime. I'll do the time. And that's a picture for every one of us in our relationship with God. God is just and he cannot compromise his character but he loves us. And he came to pay the penalty for us so that we don't have to. But we have a choice to make. Are we going to accept it or not? That's a choice for every one of us. God has removed the penalty of sin by the cross through his son, Jesus. Amen? Amen. So just to review the three P's, we can go to the next one. God has removed the presence of sin the power of sin, and the penalty of sin. And it's important for you to have a vision of your new life in Christ. It's important to you to have a vision, because if you don't have a vision of who you are in Christ, you will go back to your old life. A man without a vision returns to his past. And so I want to give you a description of Your new life. Your new identity. Who you are in Jesus. It's found in Colossians. We can go to the next verse. Colossians chapter 1 verse 22. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself. Through the death of Christ. In his physical body. As a result. He has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy. And blameless. As you stand before him. Without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Earlier today, Nita got up here just after worship and she said, you know, we we get these thoughts in our minds that are not from God. You know, God, do you really love me? We can even have thoughts about ourselves and our identity. I'm not good enough, or I'm not heard, or I'm not important, or whatever it is, we all have these messages. And the message today is, to recognize those old thought patterns. Those are like fixtures in the mind that God wants to remove. They're like strongholds. And he wants to replace it with the truth of his word and who you are. Let's go back to that verse one more time. Just want to read it one more time. Colossians chapter 1, if we can go back one slide. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Wow. Just meditate on that. for Take that home with you. Mark that in your Bible. Make a note to look at it and just think about that the rest of the week and the implications of what that means. But you must continue to believe this truth and to walk in it, stand firmly in it. Would you like to do that? There's a key to be able to receive it. There's a way that you can walk in it And it's found in this next verse, Colossians chapter 2. We started out with this verse, verse 6. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. How was it that you accepted Christ Jesus as Lord? How did you do that? I heard it. By faith. By faith. We start out by faith. We believe in God. We invite him to come into our lives by faith. And then for some reason, we get into another mode and we think living out the rest of the Christian life is based on my own effort. We just do that naturally. And Paul is saying, don't switch modes. Stay in the zone of faith, walk by faith, and receive the new life that God has for you in the same way that you began this relationship with him. It's no different from beginning to end. It is by faith. Amen? Christ is all. He has provided, we can go to the next slide. He has provided everything you need for life. We can add nothing to it. We can only receive it. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this amazing good news of who you are and what you have done. I invite the worship team to come on up as we're praying. Lord, your word is so far above our human thinking. We would have never imagined, we would have never guessed this amazing gift that you have given us. And and yet, Lord, your word is very, very clear. And so today, God, we want to allow you to let your word have its way in us. And if you would, in the privacy of your heart and mind, just to take some time alone with God and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to apply? And take some time just to do business with God. take our time, just linger in his presence. The heart often processes slower than the mind. you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for how you're speaking. Lord, you see each heart, you see each response. Father, I ask that you would meet each person right where they're at. Reveal your presence and encourage them to take that next step, whatever it is that you're leading them to do. Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your way in us. Enable us to live the life